near San Francisco, but most of my life, is all, just about all my adult life, has been spent in the Southland. <clears throat> and some of you know we have a daughter, Mary. When Mary finished high school, she was privileged to spend a year in Germany. Now, she went to a school where they offered German, but she didn't take German. She said, I sure should have taken German. Because all the classes were taught in German. While we were... Yes, sir. Er... Are we good, brother? Actually, there's none good but God. But at least you could get, get this out. Mary was in Germany. And a dear sister in the church, Sister Bessie. I can count on this hand and wouldn't even need my thumb. Today, how many services she missed when I was her pastor. She had a heart for the Lord and the Lord's people and the itty bitties especially. While Mary was in Germany, Bessie passed. And we got word to Mary. And the hostess in the home where she was staying was surprised to see Mary bawled her eyes out. And she says, who was this? Well, she was a lady in our church. And this lady's like a lot of it. Well, big deal, a person in your church. I mean, she, you don't understand. She was like a grandma to us. What about your grandma? They were 2,000 miles away. We knew Bessie better that we knew our grandma. When you're a preacher and you, and you uproot your family and you move to Tucumcari or Timbuktu or wherever it is, for the cause of Christ, you understand that. And your kiddos, one way or the other, they come to learn that. Because Bessie left a legacy. And I want to talk about the word legacy this morning. I heard the preacher say we got till 1230, so I think I could cover everything in my notes. Now, you knew my first pastor. And quite a few years ago, he was first of three to speak. And we were told, now we want all the preachers to have plenty of time. And so, ballpark figure after announcements, songs, etc. 30 minutes. He spoke 30 minutes. And 65 more after that. And the second preacher wasn't quite as patient as some of you good people can be. And after he hit the 
45-minute mark, preacher got up and he was pacing back and forth like a tiger in a cage. When he hit, I think it was an hour and 20 minutes, he took off his watch and was waving it. <laughs> and uh, my dear pastor looked up and he says, Oh, I see Brother so-and-so back there. Uh, no, I don't have a watch, brother. And went right back to his notes. So number two got up there to speak, and he said, I'm going to preach the world's shortest sermon. He went about five minutes. And then third man got up. As you think you heard the world's shortest sermon, it's from Marshall, Texas. Guy drove all the way from Texas to Sacramento, California, and he says, I want you to turn to my text, a very important text, and I don't have but one point. The text is John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. My point is he did. Thank you. We're dismissed. Legacy. In 1 Samuel 20, 18, it says, Thou shalt be missed. Proverbs 13, 22 tells us that the godly man leaves a legacy, a heritage to his children. And it says of Enoch in the 11th of Hebrews in the 4th verse, He being dead yet speaketh. For what will be, we be remembered? Some of your brethren just last week came to help say goodbye to a dear brother, Brother Orville Heath. We got to have a little breakfast time with our newfound friend from Louisiana. And he told how that he had, he had met Brother Heath. Brother Heath is gone, but his legacy lives on. And we need to ask, how do I want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as the grumpy grump that chewed somebody out, bend their ears back? No matter where you are, no matter what's on your mind, your heart, what you say and what you do will be remembered. Down in San Jose, they used to have a place called Frontier Village. You remember Frontier Village? Okay. It was kind of like a junior Disneyland. And I was teaching at a Christian school in Sacramento and I had Christian school day. So kids from all over California, they came to Frontier Village for, for, for uh, Christian school day. And here I am, mid-twenties I guess I was, and I'm standing in the log ride line. And I look, and here's a girl that we'd had in the Fremont Church. And she was probably eight when I left. And she had the sweetest parents. This young preacher didn't have a wife. And he couldn't cook worth beans. That burned the beans, usually. And so the dear people in the church would, on Sunday afternoon, Brother Steve, you, you want to come over to eat? And I rarely said no. You can tell by looking at me. 
And uh, this little girl, her, her last name was Godfrey, and Sister Godfrey, she was a good cook, almost as good as my wife, but she's a good cook. And <clears throat> I didn't realize how much little Kim watched this preacher. So we talked a bit, and those log ride lines are long. So we finished talking, and she has her girlfriend. She's talking to her. And the girl said, who is that? She said, oh, that, that's, that's Steve Riggs. Did you just meet him? Oh, no, I knew him for a long time. He's a preacher. He used to go to our church. And he really likes mashed potatoes. <laughs> See, my mama didn't like to have leftovers. And so a lot of times she said, Stephen, would you finish that off? And I'd usually be very accommodating. And so if there were still some potatoes left in the bowl, I'd usually say, if nobody else wants any more, I'll, I'll help. I'll help Miss Donna out. I didn't think too much of it, but it sure made an impression on Kim. It was my honor to be asked to say goodbye to Brother Orville Heath, who had a large family. He made a large impression upon. The Christian community, the area of Polk County there. In fact, they named the whole valley he lived in, Heath Valley. Of course, there's a little help because his great, 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 whatever grandfather had been one of the first settlers, that huge area. Heath was synonymous with Mina. You ever heard of Alfred Nobel? Alfred Nobel. had a brother named Ludwig. In 1888, Ludwig died. Well, Alfred had invented dynamite and blasting gelatin. And because of the amount of carnage that he could produce, he was given a nickname, the Merchant of Death. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the newspaper people they like to be prepared. So if you're a famous person, they probably have your eulogy already written up so they can print it whenever. Hey, so-and-so died. Well, here you go. When someone dies unexpectedly, well, then they have to do some homework to gather up something. Well, Alfred, the inventor of dynamite, as I said, his brother Ludwig died, and somebody at the newspaper goofed, and they, instead of running Ludwig's obituary, they ran Alfred's. And he picked up the paper. Not only had he lost his brother, but he saw his own obituary there in black and white. Merchant of death! And he got to thinking, I don't want to be remembered for that. The merchant of death. And so he decided he wanted to have a greater emphasis. And so he invested a big chunk of change and made a big deal about giving the Nobel Awards. 
He wanted to recognize those who worked for the cause of peace. If someone wins a Nobel Prize, they know they didn't get it out of a Cracker Jack box. They did something that made headlines. Something that made a difference. He didn't want to be remembered as the merchant of death, would you? And the scriptures give us a lot of examples, good and bad, of people. And all it takes is to say a word. When I taught world history too, I said everybody gets to write a paper on a person or event or invention or other memorable issue since 1500 in world history. Almost every semester and almost one of the very first. I want to do Hitler. You going to write about uh, uh, Hitler's dog? No, no, I'm talking about Hitler. And, and people say, Heil Hitler and killed a lot of people and hated a lot of people and almost came to rule the world. They've heard of Hitler. His name brings to mind savagery, intolerance. Not a nice guy. And we look in the Bible. We mention Cain. We mention Ahab. We mention Jezebel. We mention Judas Iscariot. You know there was another apostle named Judas? And when you come across his name, it says Judas, not Iscariot. Hey, don't confuse me with that other guy. Caiaphas, Achan, but when they finished with him, he was Achan, wasn't he? Saul, Ananias, Sapphira. Probably you wouldn't want to name your kiddos any of those names. And other names are cited specifically in the word. And sometimes we don't have their name, but what they did and how they're in the narrative. Jesus gave in English a three-word warning in the Gospel of Luke. He said, remember Lot's wife. I don't know what her name was, and I doubt you do either. If your name's Josephine, I say, could have been Josephine. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't either. But remember Lot's wife. We don't remember her for her culinary skills. We don't know her for her relations with all the ladies in the social society. But we remember she was warned, don't look back. And no matter how many good things she did, no matter how many years she spent in doing the right thing, what did the Lord tell us to remember? She messed up big time. Remember Lot's wife. In 2 Chronicles chapter 21, it talks about a man, Jehoram. And when it comes to the end of his life, you know how the scripture memorializes him? It says he departed without being desired. What a letdown. I'm the eldest of three boys, and I took a little bit of pride being the firstborn. And then I read how that when Jacob was blessing his sons, 
he turns to Reuben. Reuben, my firstborn, the chief of all my strength. All right, this could be good, Reuben's thinking. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Ooh, that's how Pop's going to remember me. How will we be remembered? The uh, Sodomites gave a name to that which is an abomination. People want to use euphemisms to talk about an alternative lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle. It's a death style. Proverbs, the Lord through wisdom says, all them that hate me love death. They got a death wish. We got to remember that. And there were rebels that Moses was leading. They yapped about this and griped about that. And then and, and it's on and on and on. And uh, the Lord tells us that these people were a big problem. They were a challenge. But I want us to think quickly because I want to be considerate to my bearded fellows to come. I want to talk about some good memorable. When I mention their name, if you know the scripture, ah yes, I think of that one. I'm reminded. Because the Bible gives us many noble men and women who were part of the solution and not part of the problem. In the book of Romans, chapter 4, we read about the father of the faithful. You know, I had been taught the wrong school of thought coming up. I was told that, you know, you get your Jews, and then you get your Christians. You know, God has a, a bride here in the Old Testament. God has a bride in the New Testament, and there the twain shall meet. And it was foreign to me at that time to even talk about a spiritual Israel. And these little girls, fifth grade, they're skipping rope. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And I remember thinking about those silly kids. They think they're children of Abraham. What's the matter with them? Don't they read their Bible? And then I'm reading in Romans where it speaks of him as the father of us all. I read in Galatians, it speaks of the Israel of God. Some of us were talking not too long about Philippians 3.3, 3, where Paul writes, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Show me the typical Jew in Jesus' day who said, Jesus Christ, Jesus, oh, I love that guy. I love what he does. I love what he stands for. No, they wanted him crucified. They'd rather have the Charles Manson of the day loose on the streets than to have Jesus out there. <laughs> Romans chapter 4. Look at me, please. Verse 12, and then we'll drop down. Verse 12 of Romans 4 says, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith 
of our father Abraham. In just a few weeks, the Lord willing, we're going to have church camp. We're going to talk about the walk of the believer. And Abraham, of course, is one who had a walk, who had a talk, who lived a life and left a legacy. Speak of this one who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. There may have been some Jews there in the church in Rome, but uh, probably some Gentiles too. And spiritually speaking, Abraham is their father as well, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now drop down to verse 16. We'll read through 18. Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As Marcia's Tennessee grandma would say, that's we Keep reading. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. See, he knows the future. He determines the future. He determines the end from the beginning. That's the kind of God we have. Who against hope, this is what Abraham did, Believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abraham remembered as a man of faith. Are you a son or daughter of Abraham? Are you a person of legitimate faith? A faith that consumes, a faith that drives, a faith from which we can derive great comfort. Now, Abraham's got a lot of coverage in the Old Testament. And yet, in just a few verses there, Paul has summarized something of the legacy of him. That's the first one. Let's keep going. Let's go to the book of James, chapter 5. <clears throat> we'll come back to James in a little bit for another consideration. But in the fifth of James... Verse 11, we're reminded of a man who we remember for his patience. Even people who haven't read much of any of the Bible have heard of the patience of Job. Patience. You ever pray for patience? <laughs> you, you, you glad you did? <laughs> David Phelps, I prayed for patience once. I never make that mistake again. Marcia used to have a little doodad in her car. Lord, give me patience, but I want it right now. She's not the only one that's thought that. Look, as I say in verse 11 of James 5, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Aren't you glad they got through that? We had a very godly man we knew in Sacramento. His name was Douglas Armstrong Moore. And when he was asked, what's your favorite Bible verse? It came to pass. Why is that your favorite verse? Thank God it didn't come to stay. <laughs> we count them happy which endure. 
Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end. That means the purpose. Why was God putting Job through all that? Was God saying, I'm bored. I think I'll mess with this guy Job down here and see what he's made of. No. Job was a test case. Job was put on display when the old devil says, when the Lord says, where have you been? Oh, I've been all over the earth. And I got a list of stinkers here. You got Job on that list? Well, I got, I asked about Job. Tell me about Job. Well, he's not a, but that's only because you've da 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 da. Well, we'll just see what happens. And the devil tried so hard. Started out by killing all ten of his kids. Some people lose one person in their life and they're devastated. They're never the same. Job lost all ten. His house came tumbling down on top of him. And then, time after time, his servants come in. We were out taking care of the animals. An enemy came in and they killed a bunch of guys and they took care of the animals and I'm the only one to come back and give you the bad news. He couldn't even be in ignorance of his loss. That's just chapter one. And he said, the Lord gave. I like that part. When we were growing up, when my brother would get a gift he wanted, he said, that mine. When he got socks or something like that, that not mine. That's how we all are, though. We just might not be quite so obvious. We all have a filter and try not to say it out loud. But uh, what did Job say? The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you can say that, after the Lord has taken away what you were so thankful for. Lord, I thank you for that. I want to use it for your honor and glory. God had a purpose. Was it here? Was it last night we sang, It is well with my soul? Spafford, who wrote that, was inspired to write it as he passed the point in the sea where his wife and children had gone down. And it says, mean old God, I sure was unlucky. I must be cursed. I must, no. He can live with that. He accepted the providence of God. The test of your Christianity is not when you're on the mountaintop and there's money in the bank and everybody's your buddy. It's when you're the man on the run like David. He said, I'm but a step between, it's but a step between me and death. When you feel like there's a target on your back. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. So quickly we forget. That's what it means when it speaks about the end of the Lord. What is God doing? Now, the brother said it and then corrected it. And we ought to correct it when we say it. God is not trying to do anything. Did you know that? God's never tried to do anything. We, we were in a Christian school once and having a prayer meeting before. And one guy in his prayer said, Lord, I'm burned about so-and-so. Save him as soon as you can. What, God's got a quota? 
God's got to take a super vitamin pill. Or, and when I was a little kid, he'd have to eat him a can of super spinach or something so I can save him now. No. He is ready, willing, and able. Don't, don't think the Lord's hand is shortened that he cannot save. Here was Job, though. He knew that the Lord is, and I mean no disrespect, and I hope you don't take it that way. If you do, it might be because you don't know what the word means. The Lord is very pitiful. We hear the word pitiful. You know, somebody throws something together, and it's a sorry excuse for something of use. And somebody says, that's just pitiful. That's how we use the word sometimes, but that's not the right way. We ought to say it's pitiable. It's pathetic. Pitiful, you know, break it down. Pitiful, that means full of pity. I am touched by what has touched you. We're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Not kick them all down. That's the world's attitude. The Lord is pitiful and of tender mercy. He knew that. And if you have learned that lesson, tremendous. Some folks haven't. Let your light so shine that people may see that in you. Like the man said, my favorite verse, it came to pass. This too shall pass. Let's think about another fellow. His name was Moses. So you're thinking, oh, he's probably going to talk about something in Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or uh, Deuteronomy. Because that's when he died. Won't be anything in the Bible about Moses after Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah? Turn to Psalm 90. Sadly, some people only hear this when they do hear it at funerals. It's fitting for a funeral, but it's fitting even when it's not a funeral. And it's the part in your Bible that appears before verse 1, verse O, you might call it. I hope it's printed in your Bible like it is in mine. Right below where it says Psalm 90, which opens the fourth book of the Psalms, by the way. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. What do you hear when you think Moses? He got the commandments. He did. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Christ Jesus. We remember him as the great lawgiver, but here he's known as the man of God. That's not an expression used for a lot of people. Would that be a good term to describe you? Some people... Well, Dr. So-and-so, he's the pastor of this church. So-and-so was a bishop. So-and-so was a cardinal. So-and-so was an apostle. So-and-so was a grand dooflinky or whatever. People come up with all kinds of fancy titles, don't they? To be known as a man of God. We had a Nazarene lady in the Mina area pass away shortly before Brother Heath, and she was listed as Reverend so-and-so. Well, don't even get me started on that. When Brother Heath passed, it was announced and even printed on the memorial handed out at the funeral, Mr. 
Orville, Dale, Heath. That's what they do across the pond, isn't it? They call, speak of Mr. Spurge. And it said when people would visit in the home of Arthur W. Pink, his wife would say, Mr. Pink, we'll see you now. Nothing wrong with Mr. I'd much rather be called a Mr. than a Mrs., wouldn't you? If you're a fellow, now if you're one of the ladies, I, I totally understand. But to be known as a man of God. I read something recently about Mr. Bunyan. There was a fellow who was a high muckety-muck in politics and in the religious field. His name was John Owen. Eloquent man. He had education like you wouldn't believe. And you know what John Bunyan did? He was a tinker. He was a fix-it-up guy. He was a junk man. He was the Fred Sanford of his day. And yet when he would preach, people would gather. When he was in prison in Bedford Jail, people would come and listen outside the jail, and he could preach up, and his voice would go up through the window, and they would listen. He even had a deal with the jailer. Every once in a while, he could get out and go out in the field. He wouldn't take a license from the authorities to preach the gospel. And he had the courage of his convictions. And for that he was remembered. And when some of his colleagues heard that John Owen went to hear Bunyan, they said, that guy's just a country bumpkin. He went to school. He, I think Bunyan said, I, I know little Greek and even less Hebrew. But he had a command of the English language. And John Owen said, I would gladly trade all of my connections and all of my education if I could preach like John Bunyan. That's a legacy. To be known as the man of God. That says a lot. Now we're talking about Old Testament characters, but uh, the New Testament helps us to summarize a lot. Go to Acts chapter 13. I want to talk about David can't think about legacies of characters in the Bible without thinking about David. I want to read about him. Acts 13, verse 22. What had God done? He dealt with Saul. He gave the people what they wanted at first. He gave them King Saul, and he was an accident on two feet. And of the Lord, it says, and when he had removed him, as God took Saul out of the picture, he raised up under them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. When Saul died, with many people, it was a matter of Saul's dead, less said the better. But of David, he said, he was a man after my own heart. I told you we go back to James, so let's do that now. Because there's a collective statement here about not just one, but all the prophets of the Old Testament, God's prophets anyway. <laughs> Pardon me. 
James chapter 5, look at verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. The Lord said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. There was one prophet, his name was Jeremiah. We call him the weeping prophet. You know why? He'd say, the burden of the Lord. And the people said, oh yeah? Well, I don't think that's what God said. Sort of like I can imagine when Noah was building that ark. It says he would build and he would preach. And he'd preach and he'd build. And he'd be, what do you build that thing for? God's going to judge this world. Well, in our church, we believe God's a God of love. He loves us too much to bring us any harm. He just he just wants to call everybody and treat everybody. They're really special, you know. It's kind of a downer to listen to Noah when he talks. And yet Noah was faithful. He knew that what God said he would do, that's just what he would do. Jeremiah was one of those. And Jeremiah would preach and the people said, no, nah, that's not what God said. Tell us what the Lord said, Jeremiah. And he'd tell them sincerely, directly. And they'd say, nah, I don't think so. On one occasion, they said, we got problems. It's, these folks over here giving us fits. Let's see. Maybe go to somebody else. And he says, no, people, the Lord said, don't go with them. That's bad news. Well, let's see. There's one of you, a whole bunch of us. Now, we're going to do what we think is best. No, don't do that. In fact, we'll take you with us, Jeremiah. No, but they did. And God told Jeremiah, you're going to have a ministry and most people, their attitude is going to be, I'm not listening. I don't think you're on track there. The God you preach, I'm not comfortable with. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? There was a woman preacher a few years ago wrote a book. God is not angry with you. One of my buddies said, have you seen this book? Huh. You ever seen this in Psalm 5? God is angry with the wicked every day. Uh, who you will believe? Well, that, that, that's kind of a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's one way to put it. He was the weeping prophet. In fact, a Jeremiah means something you say when you are just so depressed. You've been smitten by circumstance. And after the book of Jeremiah, we have lamentations. When you lament, that's when you... I made a lot of mistakes. I took a wrong turn in Albuquerque and I kept going in the wrong way. And the Lord has warned me. And thankfully the Lord can put you back on the right track. But Jeremiah learned the hard way a lot about himself and a lot about his fellow man. But the prophets in general, they were examples of endurance. It also says in James 5 that Elijah, he was a man of like compassions as we are. I think his wife burnt the toast a few times. 
But we don't read about that in Scripture. I think he had indigestion a few times. But Scriptures don't tell us about that. He was a man of prayer. He said, folks, I'm going to pray. And I'm sure they're like, yeah, big deal. You're going to pray. What's that going to accomplish? It's not going to rain. Well, we don't need any rain today anyway. It didn't rain that day or the next or the next or the next for a long chunk of time. And the ground was getting parched. And the people realized, we need some rain. Didn't that guy Elijah say he's going to pray with me rain? Yeah, I think I remember that. And there's Elijah, on the off chance that you have some pull with God, why don't you pray that there will be rain? And he did. And it did. I should say the Lord sent the rain. I don't like it when people say it was raining. What's the it? God sent the rain. Praise God. And we read about Daniel. Pure and purposed. All through that book, we have a man who had a sterling character for God. And there was a time when people said, God, get rid of this guy. He, he doesn't fit our program, our purposes. And one of them said, only way we can can him is if we come up with a law that nails him according to his God. Because he's not going to fishtail on the things of God. And so they buttered up the king and said, let's just say for the next chunk of time, nobody prays to anybody but what you say. That'd be a good law, don't you think, king? And they had an understanding. Even the king couldn't change the law. There was no veto or take it back or anything like that. And he said, sure, good. Now that we got it in writing, let's go after Daniel. Daniel didn't hide out. He said, I'm going to have a moratorium on prayer meeting. No. Left the windows wide open. Pray it out loud. Can you imagine somebody who would be out loud when they talk about the Lord? I've heard some people do that sometimes. And so Daniel prayed just like before. And they snagged him. And here's the king. I'm sorry, Daniel, but my hands are tied. The penalty is you have to be cast into a den of lions. That doesn't mean he went to the zoo and saw the lions in there. It means he got to go in there with the lions. I guarantee you, when Daniel went in there, he'll Back. No. He went in, and I bet his enemies, <laughs> he's lying to food now. We took care of that problem once and for all. The king couldn't sleep that night. He turned and tossed, and early in the morning he went down and he called out Daniel. Are you still there? Hoping in his mind against hope that he'd hear maybe the last desperate cries of his friend Daniel. Because Daniel was his friend. He knew that. And just as was his custom, Daniel said, Oh king, live forever. He didn't say, get me out of here for these lions wake up. He'd been there with Fluffy and Stuffy and whatever their names were and probably petting them and hearing them purr and all of that. The Lord has closed their mouths. Suddenly they don't have an appetite. So they fished Daniel out 
They said, don't close the door just yet. Uh, you fellas who talked to me about, I think you need to spend some time with the lions. And you know what? Soon as they were in and they closed the gate, the lions got their appetite back. They had a lion's appetite. Took care of them. Now there is a woman, and her name is not given in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14. If you'll turn there with me, please. Now, I don't know. Maybe it was Mary Magdalene. John Gill said he thinks could have been Mary the sister to Lazarus. I don't know. But she definitely was a woman. And she is a model of devotion and resourcefulness. And you know how sometimes people who are important are surrounded by people who think they're important too and they think it's their job to make the important person be perceived as important and shoo shoo get away from me get away from here you know where, where his cover or whatever and we read as I said from the 14th of Mark we start at verse 3 and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper as he sat at meat there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard very precious and she break the box and poured it upon his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? If you read the other Gospels, I think Mr. Judas is part of that group. Critiqued the lady for this waste. So he's seeing the money. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and been brought, given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Here she's showing her devotion and dedication to the Lord. And these guys were doing nothing but, I don't know if they had pockets, but they did, they probably had their hands in their pockets. So what's this woman doing here? She's in the wrong place. Food. Jesus got a lot of stuff on his mind. He's got stuff to tell us. We got questions to ask him. This woman is here. It'd be better if she was gone. She just keeps ministering to the Lord. And the Lord doesn't say, get her out of here. Guys, who let her in? No. And when they murmured against her, and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. By the way, she's part of the solution. What are you guys doing? I heard of a preacher who had another preacher in mind. And there's a third preacher. Preacher's all over the place, you know. And this fella critiqued this fella. He said, I don't like the way he does such and such. And it was a good thing to do, but he didn't like the way he was doing it. Sometimes people get that way. They get in a snit, not only what you do, but how you do it. And so this fella critiqued this fella, and then this fella said, well, how do you do that? Oh, I don't. You don't do it at all? No. You know what? I like the way he does it a lot better than the way you don't do it. Ooh, that's a double burn, isn't it? For he had the poor with you always. Hit, hit, hit. What have you done? Maybe there's a little bit of conviction there. Maybe it's heaping coals of fire on your head. And whensoever ye will... Ye may, and whensoever ye will, 
you may do them good. You have the opportunity. I think we can remember Bible verses as often as you have opportunity. Be mean to anybody you can. No, no. I think some people replace Jesus Christ with Don Rickles, you know. See how well they can insult people and put them down. They think if they can insult other people, that makes them look good. It doesn't work that way. Here's the Lord and he says, But me ye have not always. What's he say in verse 8? She hath done what she could. You know what, folks? There are a lot of things you can't do. And if you whine and complain and feel sorry for yourself, I can't do this, I can't do that. You remember the talents? That was a measure of probably gold. Not just, well, I have this ability, but they had been blessed. And one man had five, and the master came back, servant, I gave you five, what have you done? Well, I kept the five, and there's five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your reward. He was rewarded 100% return. That's pretty good. And then there was a second. He'd been given two. He didn't say, look at what he got two and he got five. No, he took the two and there was two. Percentage wise, he did the same. And the Lord responded the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord didn't know. If I'd given you five, uh, I don't know what you'd have done with it, but I know you... You can handle it too. The Lord knows what we can handle. Yeah. And don't complain if he doesn't give you some other thing because it just might show you up for what you can't handle. But do what you can with what you got. And the same commendation. Now, what about the other shoe? There was a third man. He got one. I... I don't want to put words in the Lord's mouth, but I just kind of suppose that if that one given one, if he had come back, so Lord, you gave me one and I've got one more, I have a pretty good idea the Lord would have said the same thing. Yeah. Well done. But he didn't even do that. The Lord, you didn't even go to the bank and get simple interest. You could have done that. You did nothing. You buried it in the ground. Has the Lord entitled you has the lord entrusted you have you been empowered has the lord opened doors for you and you just kept your mouth shut and you sat on your hands and you made fun or critiqued other people who did things but you didn't do a thing what's the lord going to say about that i'm convinced there's a thing called the judgment coming up and we're going to be called on the carpet. And the Lord's not going to say, Well, why didn't you do what Louis Pasteur did? Well, he didn't give me what Louis... And he's not going to ask me that. The Lord knows your situation. He knows the opportunities that you've had. How have you bloomed where you have been planted? Well, if I was in a different setting, if I had this, if I had that... no. Paul even rejoiced when he had weakness, infirmities in the flesh. He knew how the Lord works. He says, the way this works is when I'm weak, I'm strong, because it's the Lord. A glove can't do much. Just laying there on the counter. 
But the strong man puts on the glove. Boy, that glove could be involved in some mighty works. This pen ain't so smart. But this pen can copy scripture. That's God's word. This pen can write a word of encouragement. Marsha has a pen in her pocket. She used it not too long ago to write a big check. The pen didn't have a penny. But it was used of God to do a thing. To be used of God. That should be our prayer. Not say, I'm jealous. Uh, she can play the piano better than I can. Well, I guarantee anybody here can play the piano as badly or better than I can. Only way I can play good music, I put it in the player, push the button, that I can play it. Somebody plays on an instrument, I want to encourage them. It's not for me, but uh, it's for me to enjoy and to realize that God blesses and God uses. And then the last one I want to remind you about is a fella we know as Paul. Now, there was a soul in the Old Testament. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he started out well and really went downhill from there. And then we have a Saul in the New Testament. You know what tribe he was from? He was also from the tribe of Benjamin. Just lived at a different time. And he became the man we know as the Apostle Paul. You know, he describes himself in the 15th of Corinthians. He says, the Lord lived and died and was buried and was raised from the dead and appeared. He said, 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. Oh, by the way, after that, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. Now, Paul could have said, I sure wish I had been around in the days of Jesus. Well, if you read the book of Acts, he did get to see Jesus. Because when Stephen was being stoned and said, I see the throne and I see Jesus on the right hand. Saul of Tarsus was busy holding the coats while his buddies were stoning Stephen. But he saw more than just Stephen's death. The Lord took him in the backside of the desert and for three years he conferred not with flesh and blood. But he had a one-on-one -on -one tutorial. He had up close and personal tutoring, if you will. And he refers to himself as one born out of due time. If you laid odds on who would be the one to be best remembered as the connection with Jesus, nobody would say, well, some guy who was unregenerate till after the resurrection of Christ. But it was. I even read a historian who said, from my perspective, Christianity might not have caught on just because of Jesus, but it did because of Paul. He was the front man. He was the ad man. He was the one who got the word out. And how did Paul take that? Two, one each from the letters to Timothy. We close with these. First Timothy chapter 1. And verse 15, let me tell you something you can take to the bank, folks. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
I'm telling you that. And let me tell you something about me, of whom I am chief. The Lord loves sinners. And I know about sinners because I'm the biggest stinker of them all. And then when he gets down to the end of his life, as far as we know, the best, the last thing he ever said when he was about to be taken on. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. Can they say that about you? Can they say that about me? I hope and pray so. I have finished my course. I'll tell you what, I've taught a few courses in my day and a lot of students that I didn't think I'd ever pass this class. And so at the end I could say, well, you're like Paul. You finished the course. I have kept the faith. I want you to know something. I've known a lot of preachers. And the ones who are so close to the Lord, the ones who are, I say that about our dear brother Heath, he was the last father in the ministry to me. All those who at one time I would count as his fathers in the ministry are either dead or denied the faith or both. People have a way of slipping away, don't they? It was in this building we said goodbye to Brother Roger Dore. It was down Louisiana way we said goodbye to Brother Jack Duplichan. We say goodbye. And if the Lord doesn't come back soon, as we count time, we'll be saying goodbye to some, perhaps even in this auditorium. How will they be remembered? Paul said what he did. We read in verse 7, and then let's read verse 8 to close. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The best is yet to come, folks. Which the Lord. Not some Joe Schmo over in a corner. You don't get the consolation prize. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And some people say, well, it looks like he's getting a real good commendation there but it's not just for Paul it can be for you it can be for me how let's just keep reading and not to be only but unto all them also that love his appearing do you say with John even so come Lord Jesus God bless you